So in a way, today, as we conclude David's series, um, I'm a little sad. Because this series has been very uh, powerful, personally, and as a, a community of believers. And God has spoken uh, so many times. It, it was so timely about our church's need as well. And, and uh, we are concluding on not on the story, but the remember our goal for David's series is not learning about the events and moral lessons of David's life story, but David's heart. What makes him, what made him a man after God's own heart? And then behind that, there is a God's work. The true main character through the, the narrative of David's story is actually God, Yahweh himself. So for that reason, I think Psalm 23 is a perfect passage because there is a sense of synthesis and distilled Life song of David. The Psalm 23 is so famous, world famous. And some of you guys heard it over and over at a funeral. And, and it's displayed as, uh, as an art and writing um, in some people's home. But I contend to all of you, this psalm, is a special message for each one of us. So before we open that passage and read, let's get a quick overview and make some preliminary observation. Number one, number one it is David's life song, written in not young years of David's life, but late years when he was an old man, having experienced ups and downs, of life. David was a shepherd boy, and when he was anointed as a king, he was a teenage shepherd boy. So some people assume that this might be uh, while he was a shepherd, and then he wrote this poetic song. Well, actually, there is an enemy, there is a valley of shadow of death, and there is a the eternal final destination implied and towards the end. So actually this is a song of a sage. And not only a praise psalm, but wisdom psalm as well. Secondly, it is both David's testimony about God. He refers to, he makes me lie down as a third person, but also seamlessly he's switching back and forth to his confession, his prayer to God, referring to you are with me. If you look at the structure, verse 1 through 4, David depicts God, the Lord, as a good shepherd. And Jesus also called himself a good shepherd. So the image is powerful. And then verse 5 through 6 is a good host. The scenery changed from the field, from grass, and actually the banquet table. Um, a table of a feast. And and David mentioned the Lord's house. Thirdly, it contains David's most personally intimate name for God. The Lord is my shepherd. In Old Testament, oftentimes a shepherd was king, or God was, would be called as a shepherd of Israel, corporate entity. But the way that David puts 
He brings Almighty Supreme Being right close to him in his own daily life, such a personal, intimate way. The Lord is my shepherd, not our shepherd. Last week, we studied on David's banner psalm, which was recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And then that was repeated in, in Psalm 18 as well. That psalm had dozens of names. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, the horn of salvation. But this name of God seems to fit for his life song. The Lord is my shepherd. Why? Because David knew what shepherds do. As a shepherd, he tend the sheep. He cleaned the sheep. Giving haircut, basically. And some sheep it, their their eyes, their sight is really bad. And sometimes they just go astray. And oftentimes, shepherd's job is make sure the sheep are not going astray. Once they're going astray, the shepherds will go after. And Jesus has the parables for that. Finding the lost sheep and putting on his shoulder, leaving the 99 sheep. So unlike the way we kind of picture, the shepherd doesn't have to do much in sitting under the tree, you know, harps and singing a song or, or writing a poem. No, it's a sweaty, hard, grunt work. Moreover, David knew when the bears, when the wolves come, threaten the sheep. He would take the rod and fight with them, protect them. In Jesus' word, the, the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. But hurlings, the higher people, run away from the beasts and the robbers. So when David thought about his relationship with God, he calls the Lord my shepherd. The only um, name of God, name for God, that is more intimate and surpassing in David's depiction of God of shepherd is Jesus' word. When Jesus uses Abba, Father. Abba meant very endearing words. A little kids will call Daddy. The first wall, Abba. And a lot of different languages have a similar sound to it. Isn't it? Jesus called us Teach it, taught us to call the Heavenly Father, Almighty God, the Most High God, Abba. But other than Jesus, and this was the most intimate. And then fourth and last one, this is the reason why I wanted to set this up. We had a two purposes and two clear goals in this series, David's series. Number one is... Let's find out qualities about David. What made him a man after God's own heart? So those qualities are very good example to, to learn. But as you and I know, having studied David's life and David's heart, he was not a superhero from the beginning. He, just like you and me, 
had all kinds of problems. He failed miserably. He sinned terribly. But and yet, he somehow gets restored and his heart added toward God was this intimacy. So there are qualities that we need to find out. What are distilled lessons about his heart quality? But at the same time, behind the scene, God, the Lord, was working on him, molding him, breaking him, taking him not only to the grass, but to the valley of shadow of death. That he molded David as a man of God. And this is the really important and hopeful part of biblical narrative. We too can, can become not only objects of God's judgment or discipline, but his loving, tender training and disciplining on us that we too become can become a man and woman of God. And this psalm has both of that, the distilled lessons of God's providence in David's life that affected David's response, David's heart and character. So with that in mind, would you look for God's providence? What God is doing? How is David's heart formed and molded by that? What is faith response looks like in this short and then profound psalm? Psalm 23. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In this brief psalm, I see six things that God is doing in his life, all through his life. We call it God's providence, sovereign, working for his own purpose. God's sovereign providence. But at the same time, I see God's, the, the result of God's providence responded by faith and obedience. We see David's heart, David's character. So I would call it six lessons on how God's providence molded David's heart. Here's number one. God's provision affected David's response of faith and obedience. And David's heart was a satisfied, trusting heart. Content heart. Verse 1 and 2, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some other translations translate, I lack nothing. I shall lack nothing. The modern translations, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. The idea is that David saw all the provisions are made for him and his needs 
in the shepherd. And he, he goes on in saying, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. When I let the shepherd lead me, I find rest. I find my knees met. So this might be too obvious and and then you might think that I just insulted your intellect. The simple verses, he makes me lie down in creased pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I shall not want is actually opposite of our American spirit. There is no free lunch. You need to make it on your own. Pragmatic principles. That's why self-help books are sold everywhere. But David contends life of God dependence produces contentment. Satisfaction. And because of the satisfaction, your heart becomes more trusting. And I think we need to remember this. We need to learn this. You see, when David finds his contentment, and we need to think through this together, there are three or four reasons that that we could think through it. There's no lack in shepherd. Why? Because my shepherd knows me more than I know myself. Because he created me. He is the sovereign Lord. And then my shepherd knows what I really need. You know, funny thing about um, human heart, we think we know what we need. Let me give you an example. When I was single, I dated all different kinds of women opposite to my wife now. I really thought I need certain type of woman. But time after time, it was a disaster. I mean, Kate and I, when we finally met and we, our God's mercy was there, because, because of through God's molding, she told me, that she dated the type of people, men who are opposite, probably long, thin, and, <laughs> and quiet. You, you know, the, doesn't share much. So she she find out it was not their confidence, but they they don't even know what's going through their heart. So they are they have nothing to say. So she prayed. <laughs> she prayed. The three C's. She prayed for three C's. Communicative, person who is willing to share. Committed, committed to God, committed to his friends, and known for his loyalty. And what was the third one? <laughs> what was that again? Huh? Compassionate. Yeah, I forgot. Sorry, I shouldn't forget. I shouldn't forget. So, so uh, the, on our first date, I cried in front of her. That, uh, talking about my dad and, you know, missing my dad. And my dad just passed away one or two years prior to that. And, and then and she made this all list. 21st-something list, the things that we could talk about when we become silent, awkward. She didn't have to use that at all. <laughs> and then she find out about my relationships with my friends and my kids as a youth pastor and college pastor back then. 
And then from my point of view also too, uh, I, I think God's guidance in me is that what I really need is not so much of a feminine, uh, full of perfume and very, you know, that makes me have a butterflies in my stomach from day, day, day one of our dating. But someone who is really deeply committed to God, that who could go along with me, and someone who is stable. When I come home from hours of serious pastoring, counseling, trained, that my wife will be stable to support me in my journey together. And then instantaneously I knew she was the one for me. After two days, two dates, I knew she was the one for me. So going forward, do I know what I want? I really don't know. Do you know what you really want? You really don't know. So we're asking, asking for wrong things in our prayer too. Keep praying because the Lord will guide you to in the right place. But he gives, you, he gives you the right things, what you need. In our congregation, what we need was a stable, steady, healthy, unhurried growth. I got frustrated in the beginning. Because I thought, this is so good. Why wouldn't anybody want so many people will flock in? But in that, because of the slow growth, our health of our community was maintained. God's provision was satisfied, trusting her. Second lesson is God's restoration. And David's response and this is another one of those things that's so obvious we could miss it. So simple, we could stumble over that simplicity. A broken, contrite heart. And even in his psalm, he mentions that. He teaches that wisdom to us. A broken, contrite heart, God, you will not refuse So rather than a person who is so confident, self-confident, and then doesn't make any mistake, David's heart was continually stayed broken and contrite, even confronted harshly by prophet Nathan. He readily, as a king, sovereign, admitted his own sin. I have sinned. This is the quality that I want every single one of us to learn. The way of the cross is that we get to the cross and fall flat and owning our brokenness, confessing our wretched soul before God. Unless you become that humble, you will not look up to God. And David was restored by God time after time, not because he was so aware. There are times that he was in spiritual limbo. He went to enemy's territory, running away from King Saul, and God's land, Israel, was there. But he would go to Philistine's land. Ziklag was his town, given by the king of Gath. And he stayed there. We don't know clearly, but long enough that he became so deadened, he's a soul. No psalms were written during that time. And he acted like he was a pagan. But God restored. Do you know what happened? While he was helping to go out for Philistines' war, or another bandit came, killed everything, took his wi- their wives and children as a slave. 
Do you remember that scene? All day long, these mighty warriors came back to their town. Their houses burnt, and they're crying their hearts out. The scripture said, until they didn't have any strength, physical strength to cry, weep anymore. And God restored him, woke him up. What about another, even, even more so, this man after God's own heart, after going through the Davidic covenant, and that he became a promised king who will have a son of David who will be the Messiah. And then he became lazy, got up late, and he didn't go to war with his warriors. Physical comfort, laziness, leads to spiritual complacency. He sees this woman bathing, beautiful woman, Bathsheba. And she took took her, have an adultery, to cover up, bring Uriah, Hittite, from the battle zone. And Uriah, the Hittite, is a man of integrity. He would not go to his house sleep. And David's strategy to cover up didn't work. He finally sends him to back, back to the battle and commands Joab, the general, to take him into the furious front line and leave him alone, retreat back, that he was killed. Of course, he's the king. No one will dare to say anything. If he was left alone, he could have lived like that years, and then his soul would be damned. But the prophet Nathan, sent by the Lord himself, you are the man. Remember that? Utilizing this fantastic you lamb story stolen by the neighbor and David's heart was stricken and he wrote Psalm 51 incredible penitent psalm and he was restored now, now I ask you would you like to be left alone when you want walk astray, run away from God, would you like to be restored by God? You see, if your salvation is true salvation, covenant God, who is committed to you for his own integrity, pursues after you, disciplines you, Sometimes bring heavy hand on you. He breaks us because of pain and suffering. And that's a severe mercy of God. See, this biblical truth, once again, is counter-cultural to American, especially Southern Californians' mindset, what's most important? Two words, affluence and comfort. Our pursuit is continually become like the frog in the kettle being slowly heated up. So when you are continually enjoying affluence and comfort, what happens is the very important thing about your soul. What good is it to win the whole world if you forfeit your soul? Jesus says, lose your life for my sake and you will find it. it it's not only eternal life, but the life that you really wanted and it's the life that is meaningful, abundant life. So when you give it away, 
and the rest restoration happens. So I, I think we need to be mindful of the wrong messages that we send to our children. Anything that's discomfort, anything that is painful, don't go there. That's our message. No, actually, the pain is good for you if that brings you back to God. It was good for me, Psalmist uh, confesses in Psalm 119, that it was, I was afflicted. I, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now I obey your law. The restoration is such an important process of Christian life. You don't have to be perfect. You don't act like you have it all together. And I'll be the first person to admit. Crossway is a bunch of big people who are broken, utterly contrite. And I'm the first one. I am aware of my brokenness, my spiritual bankruptcy. At the height of my the best effort, there's a duplicity in my motive. Unless God restores me, purifies me. My default motive is not pure, not loving, not patient. And yours even either. A broken, contrite heart. You will not despise. This is a pathway to grace. Let's remember that. Let's cultivate that. And one of the reasons why we share this crossway story week after week is the practice sharing about our brokenness and God's mercy, God's grace. You don't need a big, you know, dramatic story. I saw this as my brokenness. I experienced God's mercy in this way. God's grace came to me. That's crossway story. Third, God's guidance and created in David's heart. An open, teachable heart. I want us to pay attention once again this dense wisdom in verse 3, part B. He leads me in paths of righteousness for my knees. No. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for the good of Everyone. No. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. The honor of God's name, the integrity of God's character is at stake when he takes care of, leads, and guides his people. Lest we think that guiding is only green pastures. In verse 2, obviously, he guides us to, to green pastures and he, he leads us to, besides still waters, there's rest and there's so much good things. You know, we, we give thanks to God. And even the facility that we are sharing and, and my office and then children, Crossway Kids, and all the things that God has, even personally, your, your house and your car, everything that God has provided, all, every good gift comes from the Lord, heaven above. When my boys were crawling and toddlers and walking and there were times that, that within that one year period we went to so many times to take our boys to ER. Our friends joked about it. You should have a private parking lot 
in front of the emergency room. So much work. But have you seen our family picture lately? I'm one of the shortest one now. My boys are all tall and good looking and they're turning into a young, intelligent guys. What a blessing. Green pastures, still water. I'm waiting for them to get married so I could have daughter-in-law. Because I've been wanting to have a you know, father to a daughter all my life. That's why fourth one was, we're just going to stop at three. But I wanted daughter so much. <laughs> so you plays the girl to me. <laughs> but I want our attention to pay attention. Not only guidance in green pastures and still waters. But verse four. Through the valley of shadow of death. How did we get there? By Lord's guidance. He's sovereign. Nothing slips him because he's sovereign. And what purpose, we ask? Because his namesake. He's purposeful for us to go through terror of danger and death. What was yours? In my own life, I think Kate and I remember one of the distinctive moments was when my firstborn son was diagnosed with autism. It was very difficult. It was a dark moment. And another time, I shared this before a few times, when we got uh, contacted by a police officer telling me, your 16-year-old son is hit by car and now taken to ER. And seeing him with so much pain was another valley. And one thing I still didn't get out of yet is my brother, who is a pastor, had an incurable disease in, in his brain, an infection called PML. Then he had to resign from his church. His speech impediment doesn't allow him to speak normally. No more preaching. And he's a writer and author and translator. His right side arm, he cannot use it. So he's staying home. And it doesn't look like next year that he's going to get up and start wa walking all by himself, I mean running all by himself and driving again and preaching again. So in that pitch darkness, the guidance of God for our family, not only for my brother and his family, but through the lens of faith, I could see it. I couldn't say a few years ago. So in your life, are you surrendering so that the Lord is free to guide you? Or are you resisting? Or if you belong to him, to stop your resistance, he will bring heavy hand. And that this is a very clear wisdom thing. If you listen, if you pay attention, the voice of the Lord shouts in our pain and suffering, and he will bring us back, certainly bring us back if we belong to him. But if we become stubborn, 
until we are completely broken, hit rock bottom, we'll go through that route. So let's remember before we move on, ultimate purpose of shepherd's leading is beyond meeting our needs. It is to lead us to righteousness, putting his honor on the line. Number four. Uh, before number four, I want to pay attention to a couple of uh, passages that reminds us that God's covenant relationship with Israel, that his uh, uh, guidance for the Israel and his people was continuing throughout the history of Israel's lives. Ezekiel 14 Verse 14 through 15, I will feed them with good pastures and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their gazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they, will, they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares Lord God. Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. So both personally, individually, and communally together, we should look to God's guidance. Number four, God's protection actually created David's response of faith and obedience, a humble, confident heart. It's seemingly uh, contradicting, right? Humble, confident heart. Why? Because his confidence didn't come from within. Confidence came from the Lord, dependence on the Lord's presence. Verse 4, one more time. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, there is a reason why David is using this expression, the valley of shadow of death, instead of valley of death. There's a valley of shadow of death. Just imagine that. It's filled with danger and the possibility of really dying there. But that danger and shadow induces so much fear in us. So in that in that um, David's confession is, I fear no evil. Why? Because he's confident in himself? No, because you are with me. Notice, isn't that beautiful? He's been using third person. He makes me lie down for his namesake. And then as soon as he goes through this valley of shadow of death, he changes the second person pronoun, for you are with me. We ought to do this. Sharing about testimony, and all of a sudden we go into confessing to God. In our quiet time, we ought to do that. Write it down in what you're observing, but and yet all of a sudden you become drawn to God. Oh, Lord, I want this. I confess this. Make me this way. And David is doing that all throughout the song, isn't it? The important thing is, because you know, we are so concerned about not physical harm done, and obviously the protection is not only physical, emotional, spiritual too, but ultimately, even when Jesus said, do not fear those people who could kill you, your body, but who cannot kill your soul. Fear the Lord who could 
kill both soul and body. So therefore, when you are persecuted, do not fear them. And this is very important thing that we ought to remember. Because there are Christians out there who are still being persecuted. And Boy and Cindy tells us tell us that their security is incredibly heightened. So they might have to move out. And I mean that's that serious. But can I remind you this? John Piper writes this beautiful just within in his sermon he mentions that. After calming the sea, Jesus said, Why are you afraid? Christians need not to be afraid. Not because Christians never drown, but they are safe in drowning. Even if you drown and die, you will stand before God, who is your Abba, welcomes you. And shares eternal inheritance with you. And he takes you to the banqueting table. He anoints your head. So let's not be afraid. And our church really had a faith increasing experience. Because... The city of Santa Ana looked like a giant. They could do away with us. But because the Lord was with us, we have experienced that we have nothing to be feared, nothing to be afraid. Romans 8, verse 38 to 39, it is for every single one of us who belong to Christ for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's believe that. Fifth, the Lord's triumph is there and David's heart becomes a victorious, overflowing heart. And now this scenery changes from the field to now a house and, and the Lord is depicted as a good host. In verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil my cup overflows. There is a final destination. Each one of us will be there if we belong to Christ. That's the Lord's house. The eternal presence of the Lord. And then the banqueting table, the feast will be there. What does it mean to be, have the table before my enemies? But that, our victory celebration is not private. It is public. And it is also that our enemies, our present, cannot do a thing because they're defeated. Lest you think that you're thinking about, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so, until that day, no, our our ultimate enemy are not people. It is sin, death, and the evil one, the Satan himself, that we shall be free from that and we, we shall be victorious over them. In the meantime, we could have four tastes of those victories that our cup overflows because of that lest you think that I have nothing my cup is dried up Charles Spurgeon and this is once again one of those sermons that 
jumped out. Written, I just wanted to make that point. This sermon was written in June 6, 1869. Such a power, powerful impact still in 21st century. Spurgeon writes, Our cup overflows because the spiritually good things which God has given us are so many that we never can contain them all. If the capacity of our mind could be enlarged a thousandfold, yet such are the exceeding riches of God's Christ that we, we never could contain all that God has laid up in him as the portion of his people. Think for a moment. The Lord God has given to every believer here a whole Christ, a full Christ, an everlasting Christ, an exalted Christ to be his eternal portion. Now, who can hold the whole Christ? Remember next that God has made with every one of you who love him, even the poorest and the weakest, a covenant of grace of which the beginning is beyond all human doubt, for that covenant was made before the earth was, a covenant which is ordered in all things and sure, and which will never run out because it is the everlasting covenant and will stand as long as eternity endures. In that covenant, all things are yours. God has given over to you even himself. I will be their God and they, they shall be my people. God the Father is yours. God the Son is yours. God the Holy Spirit is yours. Oh, what can you say if all that is yours, your soul cannot hold them all. Your cup must run over. That's for every single one of us, people. If you belong to Christ. Take the things. Take your attention off the things on earth. And focus on the things above. Apostles commands or urge. Fits in isn't it? If so. Even if you are. Going through financial difficulty. Your cup. Can overflow. Even if you are going through a tough time. Because of sickness in your family. Your cup. Can overflow. I'm speaking of myself too. I need to wrap up. And number six, God's steadfast love causes an assured, hopeful heart. In verse six, David ends this way. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall in dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if you pay attention to David's series, you learn the Hebrew word, Hesed, which is covenant love. God's loyal love, regardless of what we do, that he will never stop loving us. That grace and mercy is actually Hesed. And another thing is this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. The original text, the Hebrew word follow, has a very active nuance in that. Actually, the word pursue is better. Surely goodness and mercy of God's headset will pursue me everywhere I go. That's assurance. That's hopeful. When, even when you are going through a tough time and you are going through tearful losses that you could continually look to the eternal home the headset God in the meantime continually pursues you the David's resolute confidence 
was in God, in God's goodness and mercy, no matter what happens. Our perpetual pursuit ought to be, if so, God's presence in our daily walk. David's resolution to, to be dwelling in the house of the Lord is not to be at church all the time, church building. No, church Christ residing in you. It's a presence of God. The drawing near to God. I know my time's up. I, let me conclude this. Lest we feel like, oh, that, that was a good theological exercise that we went through. Our series is over. David, a man after God's own heart. And the time for our response has arrived. Look at what God's confidence in David's life overarching, you know, bird's eye view. Look at your life along with David's life. And look at God's providence in David's heart. Do you see what God is in your life? God's provision to create a satisfied, trusting heart in you. God's restoration to continually encourage a broken, contrite heart even if you're succeeding in your career and your family's doing fantastically? Do you see God's guidance so that you could have open, teachable heart? Do you see God's protection so that you could continually have humble confidence in your heart? Do you see God's triumph so that you will experience many breakthroughs of victorious, overflowing joyful heart and do you see God's covenant steadfast love so that you will, will be continually assured and hopeful in your heart my question to you as we close how many of you say yes to God's transforming work on you so that the spirit would mold you in becoming a man and woman of God. Let's pray. And we don't do this usually at our church. Um, no sensationalism is encouraged. Uh, no spontaneous determination is encouraged. Well, I would love to. I feel the prompting of the Spirit to pray for you who are responding with, Yes, Lord, make me a man of God. Make me one of, woman of God. I want those six things to pursue me and to, for me to surrender those to, to God's providence. Paul, would you pray for me? That's my decision to make. No one looking around. Just raise up your hand. I'd love to pray for you. That's great. Keep it up. Keep it up. I'm going to ask one last time. I know Spirit nudges you. Just between you and God, you're just saying yes to God. Anyone else? Father, I pray for these hands, the people who are saying yes, no matter how feeble their yes is to you. Lord, Holy Spirit, move into their heart and do a beginning of a renewal, especially through this season of Lent, that you, we pray that you will give each one of those people who raise their hand a mini spiritual breakthrough that they will taste of a victory, taste of cup overflowing, and the taste of contentment. And you're pursuing love. And I pray and anticipate many testimonies among us in our men's group, women's group, and home group, in our Sunday 
worship service through Causeway Story. Lord, we belong to you. We're so glad you have not given up on us. Now our hearts are wide open. Lead us. Guide us. Protect us. Pursue us. Be my shepherd and my brothers and sisters shepherd. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, pray. Amen.